Sorry to interrupt, this is Ben here in the editing brig of the Katana cast. I just want to drop in with a show note before we play this episode for you. This was going to originally be our holiday special, which is recapping the last two episodes of The Mandalorian Season 2 with our very special guest Brian from Pink Milk, who is someone that we absolutely adore on this show. He's a major inspiration to the show even existing. So having him on and getting him to sit down with us was a real pleasure and an honor. Unfortunately, because that's the way that luck works, my computer decided to take an absolute U-turn into hell while we were recording, so uh, we crashed about three times. What we have here is the episode that I have cobbled together from all of the available audio. There are some bits of conversation that were absolutely lost, unfortunately, some really good stuff that uh, I hope that they'll forgive me for, because I cannot find it anywhere. What you should have, though, should be listenable. There are a couple places where you'll notice it clip. If it does that, just feel free to ignore it, and if it bothers you, you are more than welcome to have all of the money that you spent on this podcast back. So, this is our last episode of 2020. We want to thank you guys so much for the support that you've given us. This is a brand new podcast, and we're still learning things, obviously, as we're going along. And we absolutely appreciate how beautiful and supportive so many of you have been. The Katana Cast will be back very soon with brand new episodes and new content. Both Maria and Ian and I are very excited to try to figure out exactly where we want to go in the future. Uh, There's a lot of growth available for us, and we're excited to have some new guests on. We're going to do a couple crossover episodes. Without further ado, I present to you our holiday episode that showed up after the holiday, and maybe now it's our New Year's Eve special of the Katana Cast. Yeah, you can start the music. I'm done now. Hello, passengers, travelers, and voyagers. Welcome aboard the Katana Cast, a Star Wars podcast dedicated to celebrating and exploring the saga from our certain points of view. I'm your pilot, Ian, and with me, as always, is my co pilot, Ben. Hey, everyone. And. Today, we are joined by a very special guest. I first met uh, Brian of Pink Milk during Hello. my time on th- their uh, roundtable series for The Mandalorian Season 1. And literally, uh, and it's unfortunate because Maria wasn't able to join us. She's okay, but... Uh, literally, without Maria and and Brian, and I should say Tom as well, uh, this podcast would not exist. I cannot. There's not enough words I can. You know, I'm just super grateful and thankful. So, uh, without further ado, Brian. Hello there. <clears throat> the feeling. Is, look at that. R- ruining your podcast with a scratchy throat already. <laughs> I feel the same way about you, my friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are a wonderful person and all of, all of our little pink milk fam has just made me a better person. It's one of the few absolutely amazing and wonderful gifts that 2020 brought throughout the dumpster file, the dumpster fire every once in a while, a little like spark of joy popped out of those ashes and you were one of them. And I'm very, very grateful to have met you. You've made me a better person, my friend. 
Uh, and then getting long. to know Ben over Twitter has been really awesome. It's been really, really I'm awesome. Garbage. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, no. Getting to know Ben first is as a listener, and then as a as a podcasting partner. It's been awesome. It's been great. It's yeah, been Ben's awesome. pretty I, cool. I guess. <laughs> Just uh, depends on the day. That's all that matters. <laughs> no, Ben is no, not the worst. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So if you happen to ch- check out our episode from last week, we went over all of the upcoming uh, Star Wars material that'll be arriving in the next several years. Um, we, because there was so much, and there was also such great discussion. <laughs> is that what we're calling it? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh, I would call it a great time. Thank you. Uh, we were not able to get to chapter 15, so we'll go over just the main major points of chapter 15, and then we will deep dive into chapter 16. So, chapter 15... Oh. Oh, also, before we do that, we yeah. should point out that this episode should come out on Christmas Eve. So I guess this is our Christmas episode. So if that's your thing, you know, happy Christmas. <laughs> happy I'll, Christmas. I'll probably put some Miko for the show intro or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Wham. Come on. No, it's going to be Miko's no, holiday. Because there's what do you get a wham. Wookiee for Christmas if wham. he already has a comb. Wham. It's a holiday Christmas. Wham. <laughs> wham. No Wham. What? No, thank you, ma'am. <laughs> Not only downvoted by my co-host, but our guest as well. Okay. So, Ian, you were the first one that I think started calling me a pod dad. Yes, you are my pod dad. And not only that, but you're also like a zaddy. So. Oh, I still don't know what a zaddy is. I still don't know don't what the snaps Google are, it. but we you're do okay. do the snaps. The snaps have come. I'm very excited. This will okay. I'm so, look at this. It's already a hot mess because I'm here. So we just started. We just got HBO Max. We just canceled uh-huh. Netflix. Got HBO Max. I have been living for Legendary. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's the voguing competition. And I don't remember any of their names other than the La Roach because I love La Roach from American oh. Next Top Model. <laughs> no, we will. We will take a second to bring up the name of Leomi Maldonado because as someone who has followed voguing for years, that is okay. Leomi the Amazon. Okay. That is an icon and a yes. legend in that So scene. that's that's their name, Laomi. We were very excited because during one of the performances, Laomi got up out of her seat and was mm-hmm. snapping. And Tom's like, oh, it's Ian Snaps. It's Ian Snaps. Oh, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> so they will forever and always be Ian Snaps here in the Berry House. Thank you. Thank well, you. last week when we had Mo, I, I figured out that it turns out that when you know, gay Jesus gives us our wee little trans siblings. They're like, we're going to make up for some stuff in life by giving you extra snaps because between the two of them, as someone who edited that show, I have never had so many snaps in my life. Oh, I love it. It I love it. There were times where it was literally four tracks of just like all at the same time and off rhythm. And I'm like, Oh shit. What do I do? (laughs) You did great. You did great. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right uh so so yes chapter 15 uh the mandalorian uh, wow okay that's the show the Man- <laughs> sure is <laughs> the mandalorian <laughs> chapter 15 the believer i can do this okay you got this. so uh 
I feel like with the beginning, the main kind of just like the main point for me that I got out of it was uh, the new. So if we can think back to Rogue One, how they have what seems to be like a prison labor planet or camp or whatever you want to call it, seems like the New Republic is kind of taking on or taking a place of just the Empire following along, but doing the same with doing the same same thing almost um Mm -hmm. so i thought that was interesting we are going to put a pin in that until chapter 16 because i am with you every hero this season of the mandalorian has been flipped on its head and people things situations that should be considered a hero are turning out to be seen from a different point of view and they're not always uh heroic yes yeah absolutely <laughs> oh i've got notes i have notes ready to go i'm so excited, I'm so excited. <laughs> hit us hit us with your notes ben no we'll get to it because yeah. oh, okay, right okay, okay. It, it ties in okay. directly to what brian's yeah, yeah, gonna yeah. talk about Perfect. because like we we come at that almost 100 percent in sync and just yep. slightly yep. askew yep so like i've it's got be, i've I'm got excited. adjoining points to that so, so okay so basically they rescue space bill burr um i thought so what was great about the beginning was i actually really liked when um you know boba starts walking off mm-hmm. <laughs> and bill Burr's like oh shit i thought you were you look just like this other guy and then of course din comes walking down he's like oh damn it you come <laughs> here to kill me um yep but okay so they get to this planet called morak um and they hijack the juggernaut they fight off some space pirates again they call them pirates or you know that's what they refer to them as but it's very clear that really just these pirates are just uh people who live on the planet and they just want to blow up these vehicles because it's the empire who's exploiting the planet's resources and its people Mm -hmm. Um, using them i mean yeah yeah it's just uh well just two chapters before we saw a forest planet that had been taken over by the imperials and there wasn't much left so we knew what was going to happen to this poor planet with uh rhydonium i think it was called right yeah rhydonium Uh, Mm -hmm. what would happen to that planet just to get that so it's like yeah you know a forest more like a deforested planet Mm -hmm. unfortunately now Um, so the main beat here really doesn't come until like, you know, we're two thirds of the way into the episode where apparently they're the only juggernaut that made their a successful transport of Rhydonium. Um, they have the goal is to get to this ISB terminal so they can locate Moff Gideon. Uh, the reason why Din and um, Space Bilber. See, I don't even know his name. It's Mayfeld. Okay, Mayfeld. The reason it's why not I... Wayfeld because the internet will come for you. If you mess <laughs> no <up>. doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Megs, so, Migs, Megs, yeah. Mayfeld, right? It's Migs. Yeah, Migs yeah. Mayfeld. Bill Burr, Migs Mayfeld. Uh, the so it's it's Din and Mayfeld on this mission because Din's face is the only one that can be scanned by this terminal and not be recognized uh, by the any data from the empire so (laughs) first he tried and you know 
got to admit, like, it was definitely worth a try. Tries to scan with the helmet on first. Um, but then he takes it off, um, gets flustered. Uh, this really slimy, gross Imperial officer starts walking up to him, giving him grief, uh, pun intended. And uh, Mayfield's geeking out. He's like, God, we're going to get caught. We're going to get caught. And uh, hey, what's your name? And then all of a sudden, like May fell to the rescue. Oh, we call him Brown Eyes. You got to speak up because he can't really hear so well. Uh, that was great. Now, that was so good. What's really cool about this Imperial officer, and hopefully, you know, we see it maybe in next season or, or some other characterizations. This Imperial officer has a Southern accent, which is really cool. So, like I said, this is the main beat because we learn a lot about mayfield's history his background um he was part of operation cinder and uh he's we pretty much learn why he left the empire he got disillusioned because so many of his men so many of the people he fought with uh died in his mind and i you know probably what most people think is just uh, for no good reason at all, just for the sake of the empire trying to maintain its its power and its hold over the galaxy. Um, what do we think about this character development here of a character whom maybe a lot of us thought was just kind of, you know, just like another another character? Yeah, he's a space mass hole. Yeah, <laughs> but come on. Uh, we we the way that um it was directed and written you know i mean i certainly started to sympathize more with um mayfeld oh yeah yeah, yeah. that's you... 100% intentional yeah like uh something that i do want to point out before we accidentally move on from him uh the imperial officer's name is valen hess i believe yeah, valen, but valen he's hess. played by character actor richard brake who is absolutely fantastic so good in that role he's so good and i think this this episode's shining light is that it does shine more light on the gray areas of the little people in the galaxy because that's what the mandalorian is about like to to a t those stories are always about the smaller people who are affected by the larger events in the galaxy then is a sequestered kind of sheltered person who's being introduced to the galaxy without having other than his own kind of a indoctrination by the covert. Right. But he doesn't have the Imperial and or rebellion propaganda in his brain because he's just seeing things as smaller people are seeing them. So he's seeing a much more gray version of the star Wars universe than we've ever really been presented at least in the live action form. Obviously we get a lot of that in animation. We've got that, especially in novels and comic books, but this is new ground for star Wars to play in. And, People like Dave Filoni and John Favreau are really doing it in a way that's subtle enough that your casual fans or even maybe your hardcore fans who don't want to dive into that kind of an analysis of the universe are still entertained. But for the rest of us, that's there. Yeah. Uh, we are getting a scene where we see from an Imperial standpoint, right? So when the Juggernaut is being attacked by what are probably freedom fighters, but the show never actually goes through and clarifies that because it yeah. doesn't really matter. From Din's point of view at that point, now these are his kind of antagonists, but if he were on the other side of it, they're attacking an Imperial Juggernaut. 
And so this would be the people that we would normally be cheering for. And then when he gets into the base, suddenly we're seeing stormtroopers out of helmets who are so happy to see yeah. people there. We've never seen that before because at the end of the day, a bunch of these are probably just local yokels from a small planet someplace. And like, that's what they've been presented was a good thing to do. Yep. So these are people who are just trying to make their way through the galaxy. And it's a much more complicated view at your your basic rebellion and or new republic and or imperial remnant people that we've seen previously. Richard Brake's character is a much more traditional imperial, which is why he's there. That's what we think of when we think of imperial officers, because they're there. They're fucking nasty fucking Nazi pieces of shit. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not going to turn around and be an imperial apologist because yeah. fuck the empire. But like, there are some people there who don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, you're touching on something I'm really excited because I haven't really been able to talk about this before on any of the 8,000 podcasts that we've done of this show. <laughs> but so m- everyone in this show is a victim. This mm-hmm. is the show's about the victims and how they come out of the war. And Din is a victim of the Imperials. They weren't the Imperials yet back then, but you know we're going to call them that for that. <clears throat> And Mayfeld in this episode is an Imperial of the Imperials as well, but of a different kind. And I think it's Mm -hmm. interesting because we mentioned Boba Fett at the beginning of this episode, who comes down that ramp in his shiny new painted outfit. He's the other Mandalorian in the series now. How long he's going to be in the series, I don't know, but he's clearly played a very important role this season. I have a lot to talk about regarding him (laughs) in just a moment, too. Love it. So we have Din, who has become a Mandalorian because of the Droid Federation and the Separatists. That caused his his foundlinghood and killed his family, right? And now we're introduced to another bounty hunter that became a Mandalorian and carrying on his father's tradition because of the loss of his family, but by the Jedi's hands. So they both suffered loss of their families, but from the opposing sides. And now here they are left left in the rumble of of the war, just two different sides. And who are they going to become? And I think it's, you know, we spent a lot of time on the roundtables talking about The Mandalorian as a queer-coded show, which I still very much feel this series is. Season yeah. two... Yeah. I I'm relating to it less as a queer person and more as a father to an adoptive to my foster. You know, they were all through the foster system. I've now adopted three boys, but that's how I'm really relating to it. I mean, that's been the heart of the show. And so I'm I'm I have found myself really bonded to Din less as a queer person, but more as a father. But he's still a queer person who's becoming a father and all the garbage that Tom and I had to go through the last four or five years of trying to figure out how to to be worthy when you have an entire world telling you you're not worthy of anything. And how am I supposed to be a worthy parent? It's a very, it's like a lot of yeah. stuff to deal with. Right. But Din is figuring out how to take his helmet off. We had that whole scene in the car where, mm-hmm. you know, Mayfield's like, you know, it's a lot easier with your helmet off. It's a lot easier. And Din's getting there. <laughs> yeah. He gets there. But at the same time, we have the other Mandalorian in the series. Now as Din's losing his way of what he thinks a Mandalorian is by the helmet removal and all that, we have another Mandalorian who's now embracing it even more. He had battle worn armor that he's now painted again. So he's walking into this pride of what a Mandalorian is. I find it really, really interesting at this intersection that Din and Boba have found themselves in this season. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, We then have our, I mean, there's no question about it, who shot first. But we have our kind of who shot first moment um, because Mayfeld 
eventually just get sick and tired of hearing this guy's bullshit um mm-hmm. trying to rationalize you know the greater good and etc cetera, etc cetera. and it's uh they finally you know now it's like okay so we got to escape from this mess hall um they go out and then uh we had this really cool like escape sequence um you know they they get to the rooftop and then slave one comes down extracts din and mayfeld chased by a tire two and uh, one like one of the best moments of the episode and i would go so far as to say the season <laughs> just that the sound the visual and then the lack of sound mm, seismic charges and let me tell you like more than one seismic charge went off i'll, I'll tell you right oh now oh my god <laughs> For our listeners, I love Ian. They are our little grumpy cat of this podcast because there will be things that, like, ooh, they just can't stand and nothing is good enough, but the littlest things send them into just overdrive. <laughs> and so that seismic charge mm. was like... <laughs> yes. There's there's no way that I can describe how happy that made them. <laughs> okay, Ian, I am telling you, this is where your youth is definitely a hinder. Because when Attack of the Clones came out in the movie theater in 2002, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if you saw it back then. Oh, I saw it. Okay. For sure. Okay. Do you remember? Like, I was older, obviously. So I know, like, I remember (laughs) THX. And I only went to theaters that had THX sound. Not that digital, Dolby Digital garbage, which is now the only (laughs) one that's here. But back then, I was like, I'm going to go see this. And THX surround sound. Everyone's hooting and hollering. It's like, you know. 1 30 in the morning now because it was a midnight show everyone is hollering until that whole scene in the asteroid comes out and we're all just like seismic charging all over ourselves anyways because we're seeing the slave <laughs> one like going around we're like holy crap and there's so many cheers you could just you could feel the, you could feel the charges splattering all over i was preparing myself for later in my life and <laughs> all of a sudden that thing drops out and the sound cuts out and Silence. a pin could drop and everyone's like holy I'm going to do this because I don't do this on Pink Milk much. Do it. Holy Everyone fucking swear. balls. Shit. Goddamn shit. Motherfuckers. What the <laughs> yes. hell is that? This has never heard anything like this fucking shit before. It was so amazing. <laughs> so amazing. Because it was like nothing had ever sounded slash not sounded like that ever before. Yes. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> it was so cool. Well, right? Uh, to be followed also by. shout out to Ben Burt. Because if we're going to talk yes. about his sound effects, we got to give the man his due. To be f- followed by. Genius. <laughs> nice shot, Dad. All right. Ah, <laughs> oh, so good. Okay, so um, and then um, you know, then Din goes all taken, and he has his moment with Moff Gideon, <laughs> and I feel like while Moff Gideon clearly to everyone on his ship still looks like you know moff gideon you can just in his eyes you can tell he's like damn i feel like for the first time in the whole series oh i can also very happily say that this is the moment that made gideon click for me as a character 
Uh, and we'll get into this later with the, the end of the other episode, because there's a very specific character from another show that I relate him to now. But oh, this wow, was that so moment excited. that I made that comparison, because that's my favorite kind of Imperial is I love little smarmy, just scenery chewing little pieces of shit that the second that the fire gets lit, they're out. They're crawling through mm -hmm. the vents. They're scurrying off like, oh, he's so much fun for that reason. Mm -hmm. That scene was intense. It was good. So... Ian, I don't think we'll be surprised because we spent, you know, two months together. This was the first episode this season that I was kind of eh about. I loved so much of what they were talking about, but I was I was just kind of eh. And it made me think of last season with chapter two and chapter six. The other two episodes that I was kind of eh about at first. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until later that I started to really like them. I love rick's idea of what star wars is i feel like it's very similar to mine i just don't know if i'm i'm all the way there with it all the time because his episodes feel very different than everything else and so they're always placed in these weird spots that just throws the rhythm off of the season for me yeah. and but like i feel like this episode i've seen this episode i think four or five like five or six times now actually and i like it a lot more because i love everything that they're saying it was just weird it was weird but it made me think back to chapter six of season one when we saw that ruthless din. Mm -hmm. And I think from Moffin Top Gideon's face, I felt like he knew him. I, I'm wondering, and I'll just put my responsible speculation out there again. I think Din may have worked with Gideon back during the purge. I think he was part of the Maul loyalists, all those things. I almost feel that Gideon and Din Djarin had like a personal relationship because Moffintop looked scared. And we have only seen Din Djarin super scary in chapter six. But that speech he gave was chapter six Din Djarin before mm -hmm. when he was with his crew. And I thought it was so intense. It was so good. It was just so good. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I like that take because I think it, it could tie in. I think we're being purposefully left in the dark as to why the face scan worked or didn't work. Mm -hmm, yeah. I don't think that it was like a lazy plot hole where they just, they wanted a nice photo for no. the, the computer. Dave I'm sure that Filoni that will come back and John Favreau don't do plot holes. Well, and the Lucasfilm story group in particular do not do plot holes. Nope. Like they'll show up to your office at three in the morning with a post-it note and be like, look here, we got a problem. Cause I have to explain <laughs> this on Wikipedia later today. <laughs> yep. But, uh, I I like the idea that that could be a possibility. Uh, if that ends up not being the case, I think Gideon has kind of a, a fanboy hard on for Mandalorian culture, mm -hmm. which is why he's trying to, Oh, my brain just completely farted out. You have to excuse me. I've worked so much this last week. God damn it. What is the term appropriate? He's trying to appropriate a Mandalorian mm -hmm. culture as hard as he is. Yeah. Like to the point of where if he could get a Beskar helmet, he'd probably be trotting around in it. So I think that, as much as he wants to take from that, he's also terrified of a Mandalorian at their full capacity. Yeah. So mm. even if he doesn't know Din, which he may, I think that yeah. that scene will work either way because yes. this is the first time that one's been after him who isn't like he somehow got the, the run on Bo and we will find out eventually what that story is. And I promise you it wasn't yeah. a fair fight, but he's really not wanting to go again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, that scene was great and yes, it will work either way, but I just, Oh, Especially after chapter sixteen came, now I'm really like I'm. Oh yeah, really I love feeling that it. idea. Yeah, I'm feeling my it. my opinion is they've 
been around each other and they knew of one another, but I don't know if they necessarily like knew one another, if that makes any sense at all. Like, I think they had mutuals or they were aware of each other's existence, but I don't think it was as personal as like they worked together or like ever saw each other face to face. What has a lot to do with when we find out more about the covert, because we know that he was raised in it and he's definitely never taken that helmet off in front of Correct. him. So he wasn't, he, he wasn't trained at an Imperial Academy or anything, but we don't know if th- the covert didn't serve as Imperial commandos at some point. Right. Like, we don't know if, whether the, or not that's yeah. a possibility for them. That's like the, one of the few final missing puzzle pieces we have. Mm-hmm. I feel like. All right. I think the big one is what the armorer's role was and all that. Cause I well, think that and that's related. Really big port. To me, that those two are intrinsically related. If we know mm-hmm. what the armorer, if we find out more about the armor and what her role is, um, and her leadership capacity, and what you know, where she served and did what during the siege of Mandalore and the purge, then that also relates to you know uh, the covert and their role during the same things so yeah all right so this brings us now to chapter 16 the rescue uh for me so uh and and some of my initial my immediate thought was we finally in my point of view got our first 10 out of 10 episode of the season I think they definitely saved their best for last. It showed it was worth it. And that's not to say the prior episodes were terrible or, you know, not Mandalorian or they were filler. No, there's no, and we've mentioned this before, there's no filler episodes this season. One of my personal favorite episodes actually is uh, the second episode of this season because that's the weird, like, give me. I think all of us on on here right now love weird in Star Wars, mm-hmm. and that's why I love uh, the second episode so much. But um, that's my favorite episode of the season. Oh, like see, uh, easy, mine, hands down, my favorite. It's so. It's hard good. for me to choose between Bryce's episode, which I think is mm. perfectly directed, mm-hmm. um, and then honestly, I really think Chapter Sixteen blew it out of the water. That is a. I think those are the t- to me. Those are the top three. Maybe, uh, maybe it's between uh, episode three and Robert Rodriguez's episode, but those are like to me, they're, they're like yeah. the top, the top notch. I mean, the whole season has sure. been fantastic. Yeah, there's not oh, been a weak yeah, yeah. episode. We really yeah, should that's, put that we out. We should there. clarify. There's we not... need, yeah, every single episode is fucking amazing. Yep, it's just some are more amazing than others. And a marked improvement from last season, which is a fantastic first season of a live action show. Mm -hmm. Uh, Any show ever, I think. Yeah, it's a fantastic show, but every single episode this season has stepped that up. And not necessarily just in a, it's a bigger boom and there's more like laser gun fights. Just the the character development, the actual direction and the pacing is, it's really, really improving. Yeah. Yeah, because I like, I feel like this season is quieter. And yeah, much so more intimate than it was before. Like, yes, there's some bigger pew pew pews when the pew pew pews come, but like those character moments are like mm-hmm. the seismic charges. Like they're the thing mm-hmm. they're just like hit. Like I'm telling, like 
I think chapter the second one when little Grogu runs into his arms, like that uh, was the moment. I mean, yes, it's yeah. cute. I've talked about this a lot, but like it, it is going to end up being one of my favorite moments in any of all Star Wars. Like it just in that moment, Din became a dad. Mm-hmm. They were united. That was the first time he said, "Daddy." He said, "Daddy," running into his arms, and it was just like it was everything. It was so good, and you felt every minute of it. It was awesome. Everything in that entire sequence was perfect. The music, the cinematography, the acting, and the you know the little bringing to life this you know non-existent living thing. Though, like mm-hmm. it's still very much like a a baby on the set. Um, the reaction of the characters and the the tension that was b- built by the alien like that. Ugh, the give me more alien meets Star Wars, please. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, so good. Okay, but we're here to. <laughs> Anyways, we like chapter six. Everybody <laughs> surprise. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, space fight a la Attack of the Clones, which was great. Uh, to start us, start this chapter off, amazing, um, and it was great. I loved seeing the doc sort of, you know, be scared and out out of his element again. Um, mm-hmm. and they, and when I say they, I mean, uh, um, Din and Kara, you know, land on the Imperial shuttle shuttle. And what's interesting to note during this opening sequence is the difference between Din's um, entrance versus uh, Kara's entrance. Whereas Din is more like the other co-pilot, a bit willing to negotiate or be more passive in the situation. The other two feed off of one another's hatred and are way more willing to like pull the trigger and eventually Kara's just like, yeah, fuck you, you're going to die. Yeah, and I think we need to go ahead and get it out of the way so we don't have to tiptoe around it for the rest of the episode. Mm. Obviously, we do not fuck around with What's-Her-Face on this show, and I hope that she does not come back for a third season. Uh, we'll be, I'll the, be bring, bringing the it up The biggest later. thing that she took from us, though, is the character of Cara Dune, yep. who is really yeah. fucking fascinating character, and this is a really good Kara episode, too, on top of it. Like, yep. yeah. yeah yeah that scene was so good i i was immediately brought back to leia's face when she was watching that thing blow up and the heartache Mm -hmm. like this series has done so well at building the emotions into both the prequels and the original trilogy and quite frankly doing an amazing job of building the building blocks to how we got to the sequel trilogy like i'm very much Mm -hmm like a proponent of that uh but that scene was it was just devastating it was really really devastating it was so hard well, to the watch. great thing about it is like obviously in reality physically this show is set in between star wars but this is about what happens when star wars are not going on which is people dealing with the trauma yeah mm-hmm. every single character in the show brian said earlier that they're all victims in another way you could frame it that they're all survivors of something yeah and yep. we're getting to see how they try to deal with that because every single character in the show has been damaged by something and is trying to find out what life means for them now because of that. 
And I think that's really going to come into this third season, especially. Yeah, I like what you just said, calling them the survivors. I mean, that's a much more positive way of saying it. But I think they're on their way to becoming survivors. I don't think they're, they're figuring out how how did I survive all this? And that's what we're witnessing right now is is that. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating. Yeah, it's just fascinating. And yeah, so uh, they are able to then track Casca Reeves and Bo-Katan. And, oh, God damn, was this, like, whole sequence. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you. Read your show notes, because I loved it. <laughs> one of the best sequences. Oh, my God. Pure, 100% unadulterated Mandalorian-ness. And it was mm-hmm. fucking amazing. And not yes. only that, but Din and Boba walking into the joint like they own it. And and on top of that, not just their struts, but the longer the conversation, if you want to call it a conversation between Bo, uh, Din, Boba, and Casca, the longer their conversation goes on, the more you can clearly see the place start to empty out because everyone mm-hmm. else knows like, oh shit, there's four Mandalorians here now mm-hmm. and these two look mm-hmm. like they like are going to fuck shit up. We got to get out. I would you, call them aggressive negotiations. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little more Beautiful. attack on business. There we go. Well, see, Casca <laughs> brought it over to being aggressive. Like Boba brought in <sighs> passive aggressive negotiations. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so this is where uh, I'm going to go on a little tangent, and this is where I have my Boba thoughts that I need to share yes. with everyone. Okay. Um, and I'm not even going to get into the. You know, Bobo is kind of cool, but not like that's I'm past that dis- to, that discussion. We're all beyond that discussion. For oh yeah, me- that's two episodes ago. If you want to yeah. hear it, go back there. We're done. Yeah. So, um, I saw this thread on Twitter, um, and surprise, it actually had me reevaluate my outlook on Boba in terms of his being Mandalorian and like. Mm-hmm. his heritage and so um i grew up in a family from you know before even i was born uh it proudly cherished its heritage and cultural background um both sets of my dad's grandparents they came over from ireland directly and um, my grandfather, my dad's dad, he was first generation, one of the first just in my family in general to go to college and, you know, all of that. And I'll never forget there was this moment when I was in fifth grade and we were talking about him before we got started on this episode, but not to isolate any of our uh, UK and British fan base, but of course it was uh, this you know, kid who had, uh, you know, he, he came over from Britain and we were taught, I don't even remember if we were, we were on the playground and it was during like lunch recess or whatever. And, um, he, I don't even know how he got to talking about it, but he was like, okay, you say you're Irish, but where were you born? Were you born in Ireland? No. Okay. So you're American. Say that you're American. Mm-hmm. And to me, that exchange that happened with me and his name was Lewis, um, that's exactly what was going on here between Boba and Bo-Katan. And while I 
am totally here for Bo Katan throwing shade. She does it in Clone Wars to Obi-Wan. She did it in the third episode to Din. Um, and again with Boba, it it just it took a whole new meaning that exchange, especially because like she's really like going at it against him. She's really like slurring him and his existence and his 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 father and the relationship not only between him and his father but him and the armor and just being mandalorian in general and uh god damn insane it's funny that you say that my husband is second generation like his grandparents were straight from ireland actually so his parents are the first people to go to college and all that um and it's interesting how like i don't have that experience but how being that close to a first generation even shapes Tom's worldview so much more than what I am really capable of of interpreting that way. Um, yeah. I don't really, I have no idea where my lineage is from. I don't know any of those things. Um, so it's interesting because I don't have that information. It's never been important to me just because I can't access it. But to see how important it is clearly to you, I, I hear Tom when you talk about those things, how it's very much a part of your identity and it has to hit closer to home when you hear people doing exactly what Bo-Katan was yeah. doing. I was it's like, messed up. oh no, she didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then she kept fucking doing it. To be fair though, it's such a good character interaction because oh, Bo has every right to feel that way. Yes. Because how do you feel about the dude who went and sold your entire planet's DNA yes. to the empire? Yep. Like, fuck off like you're a clone you're not a real mandalorian like like it, it makes it really interesting also i feel like boba has a different re- relationship to being a mandalorian than every character in literally every man yeah. has it yeah has a different relationship to what it means to be a mandalorian right so din's relationship with it comes specifically from his cult time in the covert it's a very mm-hmm. specific sequestered indoctrinated point of view Bo has actually been on Mandalore and ruled Mandalore, so hers is pretty close. N- uh, but let's also say, let's also say, she's from royalty and she's from a very entitled yes. and yes. privileged perspective point of view of yes, yes, yes. Mandalore. Because I want, I have and questions be, for you when you're done. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> so, the, and then Boba, the I think the way that I relate to that character is probably close but slightly different from the way that Ian goes in. On that, like they have a slightly different take for Boba because for Boba, Boba doesn't really give a flying fuck about the legacy of Mandalore because that doesn't mean a goddamn thing to him. Like he wants the armor because yeah. like, that's his armor. That's like I decided who this person is, and the whole galaxy knows this face because I decided so. Mm-hmm. And like I don't give a fuck about the creed. I don't need a creed. I don't care about the way. Like he really wouldn't be fucking with Bo Katan or Casca if it wasn't specifically because he already had to deal with Din. Yeah. And then now he's off doing his own thing. He does not give a flying fuck what happens to Mandalore. He's not showing up to save it because he doesn't have to. That's not a character flaw of him. He's just a different person. Yep. And I think that's what makes him so fascinating. So mm. as a person who comes from a family that was very big on um, lineage, like that was a major thing that was mentioned quite a bit. I don't give a flying fuck. Like I do not care. Mm. Like I could not care who I came from. Like I only care about who I've decided to be. And I live and I'm married to a person who is the f- child of an English expat. And I have 
my in-laws who live with me right now. So I've got a whole bunch of English people in my home <laughs> and they feel very strongly about it, yep. <laughs> including <laughs> yeah. I'll have brother-in-laws and sister-in-laws who are over and you're like, yeah, I know that you're English because like your mom is directly from English. You've never been sweetheart, but don't tell them that. So <laughs> I know that people have different relationships yep. to that. So it, it makes Boba a more fascinating character. And I can finally say that Boba Fett is one of my favorite fucking characters in Star Wars. And I never mm. thought that would happen. Yeah. Yeah. Same. It was great. It was great. So Ben, I have a question for you. Yes. Because I know you are a massive Rebels fan. I've seen Rebels uh-huh. like two or three times, <sighs> but I don't know Rebels like I do Clone Wars because Clone Wars, I am a broken record, is my favorite of all Star Wars. It is everything. I love Clone Wars. I feel this oh, I is- I wish Maria was here. She would love uh, this. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Yeah. What's up? <laughs> I don't know if I knew that about you. Oh, yeah. It is. <laughs> it is the foundation, my friend. The foundation. <laughs> Whatever. I now realize you're being sarcastic. Thank you. <laughs> Let me take another this sip of my whiskey. You have to watch out for them. There are times in the edit where I have sneaky. to take out their jokes that are very funny, but nobody noticed them at the time. Shade. Um, so I feel that Bo-Katan this season is very much the first Bo-Katan we met. I feel she's yes. regressed. I've been saying this. Like I don't totally remember everything in rebels like like super clearly but she was much Mm -hmm. softer i felt like rebels came satine died and she was trying to find a middle ground between who she was and wanted to honor who satine was i felt a little bit of that in season seven of clone wars she's like you know i have to honor my sister like there's that line when obi-wan's you know you're her aren't you you know you're and she's like you know she was the best part or something along those lines of saying almost like i will never be able to be be able to be as good as my sister Rebels came and she was trying mm-hmm. and we I'm sure I don't know if we're going to be skipping or whatever, but, you know, she gets the dark saber because Sabine gives it to her, which is not how mm-hmm. it's supposed to be won. Sabine, of all people, was like she was so loyal to that idea of what the dark saber was supposed to be. I mean, her 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 father figure previously was beheaded right in front of her. And that's when you know mm-hmm. she changed, obviously. Right. That's when she became the night owl uh, mm-hmm. because of that direct event. And. Now she lost to Gideon somehow, and I can only imagine how she is not feeling worthy of being a Mandalorian mm-hmm. at all. And that line that Boba calls her princess, like, you know, she oh. is, to me, she has become Cersei Lannister, and she feels entitled to that Darksaber because she was born of the blood. It doesn't matter about, she's almost like, I don't even care about, you know, like, to me, like, I don't, I'm very interested where this character is going to go. Oh, I have theories. Oh, my God. Closer to the end of the episode. I'm Uh, so glad you brought this up. This is exactly uh, where I've got some feelings. So much to talk about here. She was definitely softer in Rebels, right? Oh, yes. But there's there's a reason. Okay. Like, there's absolutely a reason. I don't think that regression is a really good word here because I do think when people are put into a corner, sometimes we fall back on our bad Mm -hmm. habits. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think, like, from a character writing standpoint that she's regressed. No, which some people use that as like, hey, it's a bad character development because your character no. development has gone backwards. No, 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 no. Like this is really good character writing. Yeah, like, yeah. Let's do it now. Fuck it. Whatever. We're gonna <laughs> skip all over the place. I think Sorry. the reason that she cannot take the dark saber back is because she feels in her heart of hearts that she didn't earn it the first time, and so if she doesn't win it back the right way, it won't count, and that's why she couldn't keep Mandalore. Yeah, she's got a lot of guilt related to just the ruling of Mandalore. Period. 
Because, like, sure, there's absolutely she's she's a princess and she was definitely raised that way in a lot of ways. But she does feel like she lets Satine down, and then she feels like she let the entire planet down. Yep. So, like, there's a lot of very controlled, and she goes to anger, right? Like, that's yeah, that's her first place. Court is. So as soon as you take that from her now, she's angry at herself. She's angry at everyone else. And she wants to take that back so she can fix what she's taking as her mistake. And we don't know exactly what happened yet. It could have it could have been where she got tricked. We don't know because we know that Gideon did not win in a hand to hand combat with her. No, God, but no. for some reason, he got a hold of that dark saber and she wants it back the right way. I also want to uh, mention, too, and I liked how Brian, I liked how you phrased it was. And you know, I don't even remember, but uh, um, it wasn't that the, brilliant. <laughs> but uh, just the way that Bo has been in the Mandalorian versus Rebels and Clone Wars, which you know we clearly get a sense of her character and her being. We clearly, you know, we, cl- you know. It, it's more than just like an introduction in both of those, like, you know, but uh, here, and it's a shame because I'm going to compare it to Ahsoka's appearance in this series, you know, whereas in Clone Wars and Rebels, you know, we get a, a little bit, but here in The Mandalorian, we truly know, get to know this character and get to see her. Um, comparing to Ahsoka, who we completely get to know in rebels and clone wars and in her episode of this season in mandalorian you know it's almost like it it's almost like total opposites of what people i feel like were expecting whereas oh okay like bo katan's gonna come in like it'll be more of a cameo than to a two episode arc which is what it is. Mm-hmm. And with Ahsoka, it would have been more of that. Like, oh, like mm-hmm. maybe she'll come to play in uh, her, this, you know, her episode and then maybe at the end. But no, it was like almost like this version of Ahsoka we had never seen before. It was almost like, you know, who are you? And uh, mm. yeah, it's interesting the way that the creatives decided to, to go the way they did. Not that I hate it or love it either. Like, you know, I'm mm-hmm. kind Just of indifferant, but it like th- it works either way. Like, I, you know, I trust mm-hmm. in what yeah. they, they're doing. I think it's also indicative of who is going to have a larger storyline elsewhere. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because we're seeing different percentages of a story arc with both mm-hmm. of those characters. With Ahsoka, we might be seeing 3% of what that story is. And with that mm-hmm. appearance with Bo, this might be 15 yeah. So we, we get a lot faster with Bo-Katan, if that makes sense. I feel like we're going to get a lot of Bo next season. Because I'm with I you, too, Ben. So. I'm so close to where you are, but I, f- I feel like Bo isn't taking that Darksaber because I, f- I feel she feels she lost to Gideon because she was never worthy to begin with. I think, she's m- I think that's why she's telling herself, I lost the Darksaber because I should have never taken it the fir- in the first place that way. Mm-hmm. and that's what's eating her up and then she's such a prideful person i mean imagine if she was like if i never took this from sabine sabine could have taken him down mm-hmm. but she mm. bows kind of, she's a selfish character she's selfish yeah. she's a great character and i like her a lot you know but she's very selfish and she is very entitled i mean let's be honest that's why she didn't like the team she mm-hmm. felt she should have been the one sitting on that throne not her uh well yeah that's exactly why 
that was part of to me it's like in the clone wars they don't it's not addressed but to me it totally reads as that's why she joined death watch and mm-hmm. took on a leadership role 100 death watch what is the worst thing it could do to satine i can go there yep mm-hmm. damian wayne what's the worst thing he can do to bruce banner kill somebody and that's what he like mm. damian wayne does those kinds of things i love those kinds of characters it's really really interesting um yeah it's really fascinating yeah she's such a great character she's so she comes and goes as far as her moral ambivalence to the story mm-hmm. goes she's fascinating and you feel for her because like at no point do I think that she will become our villain. Oh, she's no, okay. too complicated for all that. She could still be an antagonist. Yes, being an villain though. Yeah, and I'm glad you bring that up, um, because this also ties in with another great point that Brian was making in comparing Bo-Katan and her sense of entitlement to. Uh, you said Cersei, yeah. but mm-hmm. I've been. Late the last couple of days, I've been thinking more along the lines of um, Danny. I saw your tweet today. I was like, "Oh no!" I so, saw some tweeter. They're going Game of Thrones, and uh, I hate it. I was like, "Oh." So okay. So here's okay. So I didn't start to. So Cersei's act. Okay, I all right. I love real <laughs> to try to like narrow down the Game of Thrones talk into like one sentence. Okay. Um, because that. Oh, okay. So yeah, I that's really a whole love, other that's a whole other show. <laughs> I really love Danny. I hate mm-hmm. how they is Danny the her. fire uh-huh. the See, dragon yep. queen, right? Hmm? Danny's dragon, dragon queen, lady. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I didn't start to love Cersei until the end of season six when she blows mm-hmm. up because t- I love there's something <laughs> <laughs> for our listeners. Brian is flipping me off intensely. Which is funny because Brian knows that he can swear on here. <laughs> Cersei does not deserve any sympathy at all, ever. No. The minute <laughs> she decided to act against um, that religious cult, I was yeah. all I'll, here for uh-huh. her. I was like, oh, Blow I up love, the whole fucking set. I love a wine-sipping bad bitch who blows uh-huh. shit up. And so... Um, <laughs> With their pinky up. <laughs> for the for those who can't see, because podcasting it's an audio medium. Brian delicately took a sip of his wine <laughs> with one pinky extended. Because yes. I'm that kind of bitch. <laughs> Save it for the better. <laughs> okay, oh, okay. God, I hope no, them an really. asshole. Anyways. <laughs> okay, so. My tweet, and for those who don't follow, um, I tweeted, yes, first, why? And secondly, (laughs) my tweet was, they're going, I'm afraid they're going in the direction of Game of Thrones, and I hate it. I love, I have a love and hate relationship. I used to love it, and now I have a love and hate relationship with Game of Thrones because of season eight. Um, Uh And in particular, because of the... I'm going to say de-evolution and de-characterization of Danny in the last several episodes of that season. Um, mm-hmm. And or so what makes me afraid and I did and um, shout out to uh, Luke Cruiser from the bad motivators podcast. Um, he was engaging with me. Um, 
I feel like more than anything, it's just like my I'm projecting all of my baggage here because I'm a because now I'm starting to love Bo-Katan more than I already did. Mm-hmm. And I don't want her to become a villain or the villain. I don't mind if she's an antagonist because as you know, we we say on here, um, I think Hope says it a lot too, and other podcasts, you know, there's a difference between a villain and an antagonist. Um, an antagonist can really just be any kind of hindrance to the protagonist from getting to his next stop in his journey. Um, I don't mind if Bo becomes an antagonist. What I don't want, and I guess what I should say is what I'm really afraid of is her just going all out power hungry, gonna do whatever it takes to claim the throne and get the dark saber and unite Mandalore. Like, is that part of her? Yeah, but I don't think that's the only part. I think I truly believe that this character who, yes, she's entitled. Um, I just don't think that that's how she would go. That's not how I read this character. I don't, I, I don't know. Am I the, like, do you get what I'm saying? I just today we were recording our episode for Wednesday with Tom who has seen some of Clone Wars, but not everything knew who Bo-Katan was before, but doesn't know her like we do. Yeah. yeah. I think I can see her becoming a villain. I can, I don't think that is out of line for her. And I go back to, as my wonderful and amazing Emma would say, it's in the text. Uh, when, Emma. yeah, when, Hi, Emma. hello, we love you. Um, when, when the Darksaber was lost by Maul, when Previsla met his yeah. end, Bo Katan immediately. The person who, you know, she she believed in that idea of the Darksaber more than anything, said, no one, I will only a man, I don't remember the exact line, she's like, I will never, you know, bow to you, basically. Only, yeah. only a true Mandalorian will ever rule Mandalore. Yeah. We saw, you've already mentioned it, the way she spoke to Din, or to Boba Fett, sorry. I feel like it is not a very big step for her to start seeing Din... <laughs> Oh, there we go. Yeah, so uh hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm just gonna jump in when yeah, go uh, for it. yeah. So as our girl M likes to say, it's in the text. And <laughs> there's that scene right after Pre Visla gets his head chopped off. And Maul is now the rightful ruler of Mandalore. And she's like, I will never bow to you. You're not a true Mandalorian or, or something along those lines. Right. And then jetpacks out the window and boom. Yeah. So I think it's there that she could be a villain. Do I think mm-hmm. she will be a villain forever? No. But do I feel like I could see some serious. I think I mentioned Batman once already during this podcast. Mm-hmm. So I'll mention him again. But like a Red Hood sort of way where Red Hood was flat out a villain mm-hmm. for a while. Now they yeah. have, 
you know, Mo- I'd have to say Grant Morrison when he came in and did that during Batman and Robin days, like really started to transform what that character could be. And I think it'd be really interesting because a lot of the Mandalorian viewers don't know who Bo-Katan is. So I think she could go villain road. I think it would fit the character as long as she at some point in time figures it out. You know, she's got to start dealing with the choices that she made that are and eventually get the Darksaber back in her hands, possibly. But And I'll follow that up to inoculate the conversation with a little bit of Marvel. Mm-hmm. I If we go to the full point of her being a more aggressive antagonist in the show, I see her more of a Magneto. Okay, yeah. Where she's an oh, idealistic villain. So as far as she's concerned, she's doing what she needs to do for their people. Like yep. she is an ends justify the means kind of bitch. So yep. that makes her an even more fascinating villain. Yeah. hundred percent. Magneto is not always a villain. I mean, nope. he has no. 100% villain moments that so there is no mm-hmm. justification <laughs> for some of the stuff he does <laughs> at all. But it really does make him more interesting because when he bounces back from that, you still like him. And he's the or perfect you, villain because even when he's doing the worst possible thing imagines, you know where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes him so like interesting and scary. Which to circle back, if they decide to make, not that they would have decided, if Din really did work with the Imperials, mm-hmm. what more reason for Bo-Katan to dislike him? And mm-hmm. what a, a yeah. morally gray, interesting position would that put him in? I also will float this out because I've been doing it forever. I'm not, I think Din Djarin might be force sensitive personally. And in that mindset might be the rightful heir more than even the quote unquote princess. If he is a force sensitive Mandalorian and it is for the first time back in the hands of a force sensitive Mandalorian. It and, doesn't seem to be very I popular. Res- I respect that that is a, a theory of yours. <laughs> <laughs> I get lots of that. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I met with that, or yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> but I'll I, be here. I do not think it is because it is a ridiculous theory. I do th- feel like it might revert a little bit of the show's central theme to have it be another force user, as the show tends to be more about people dealing with the ramifications of these bigger players mm-hmm. making decisions for the galaxy. Mm-hmm. But who knows? Yeah. I mean, it could be. But if it happens, I will personally call you and I will be so upset at you. <laughs> it's going to be your fault. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so well, then I'll just be excited because Dave Filoni will be. That means that maybe he listens to Pink Milk and, you know, my blabbering got into his ear because he is my he is my everything. That man. And tell him to put the hat back on. Mm-hmm. No, he can keep it off. He can keep it on. No, right we need the hat. We need the hat. We need the hat. <laughs> listen, <sighs> listen, listen. It could Uh-oh, be. Here we go. It could be, it could be all natural <laughs> and have the hat on or all natural and with no hat and it'd still be fucking great. I'll still be <sighs> howling for that wolf. I'll be. Yes. <laughs> Trap my wolf, please. <laughs> oh, God, I'm going to cut in Shakira's she-wolf right here. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh god damn it. Okay, anyways. I am All far right. less um inappropriate than I thought it was going to be. I was going to have Raven from Sisters have to turn that 
fire hose on me too. The hose does not come over here. Yeah, there uh, is no. The, what is there hose? is? Welcome to we the Catonicus. It's a desert. We've never seen a fucking hose. What? What is a hose? I don't know if I've heard. Welcome of to that. the Katana, where we're going. We don't need hoses. <laughs> yes. So, <gasps> Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a thing. There <laughs> yeah, was hoses in Star Wars. There, there was a fire once on a <laughs> ship coming down, and there was hoses to help put the fires out. All right. Um. So, if I can try to <laughs> try to keep us somewhat. <laughs> to on be fair, our actual tagline should be "Welcome to the Katana Cast, where we're going. We don't need no fucking show notes, because God knows." <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Ian is right. well versed in my lack of notes. <laughs> <laughs> um okay, so we got off and it was not on a tangent, but it was just a very deep convo on Okatan's okay. characterization. If we're it's going what you call a premature discussion. Sure. Which happens to everybody once or twice. Yeah. It's no big deal. <laughs> totally natural. Particularly in men. <laughs> Um, they do have pills for that. Yep. So or you just have more, or you just have more than one lined up, and then you're fine. Well, yeah. Whatever mm-hmm. works. Whatever. Well, then you they like. call your number a lot more often. <laughs> 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 um. Okay. So we basically left off, though, in terms of the episode in the cantina. So they team up. They all team up, and then they go over their plan. And, um, and then, you know, basically what they're going to do and what happens in the show pretty much for the next like five, 10 minutes. Um, the plan is for Boba to pretend attack the Lambda shuttle, which is the Imperial shuttle that they steal at the beginning of the episode. Um, they're going to land, then land the Imperial shuttle into Moff Gideon's light cruiser. And they're going to split up into, they say they're going to split up in two teams, but it's really just one team that's a diversion. So Din can then rescue Grogu. Mm-hmm. And the team is so fucking badass. So cool. Minus the trash bag. So we and have. And unfortunately, Fennec- the trash bag is also real good at this lineup, too. Okay. It has more to do with the direction of the writing and not with the person portraying her who cannot act their way out of a paper bag. No. But physically looks good on screen with that other cast but they get on the light cruiser and um it's just oh my god so fucking badass fennec shand casca mm-hmm. reeves bo katan it's all so good i will admit now even though and i i as much as i may not want to you know i did think it was a you know, definitely one of the characters' better episodes for Cara Dune. At the same time, I don't think in all of my time of watching Star Wars, I've actively wished for a character to d- die as much as I have Cara Dune. Because, like, almost the entire time of that boarding sequence, I was just, like, saying under my, yeah, you know, like, now's the time killer and then even just like with the jamming of the gun and blah 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 and it's just like so many opportunities um and they didn't take well unfortunately like i was saying before we started recording i don't 
always try to pay attention to real world stuff and just stick to the story. Mm. But yeah. I'm sure this was all finished before that. Oh yeah, garbage ever fi- started. Yeah, that that is that's very valid and fair and most likely true. And let's find a way to keep Katie O'Brien in too, please. I've rewatched this episode multiple times, and because the rule in Star Wars is if you do not see that motherfucker yep. hit the floor, they are not dead. She's alive. She got in on an escape pod. Yeah, like she's mm-hmm. she's out about doing some shit. Because mm-hmm. to be fair, I think she left the bridge the same time Gideon did. I don't think she mm-hmm. was on the bridge oh, that, at that point, anyways. More than likely, maybe, yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. that she got she got out. She probably has the body of another force sensitive baby, possibly a force sensitive little walkling. Because we have to up the cuteness and maybe a force sensitive walkling. I I can't handle that stroke. I, I, I can't <laughs> afford for it to happen right now. <laughs> It'd be pretty cute, though. We've had Splicer, so let's have a little Ewok Jedi. Slash not Jedi, because Jedi are terrible. All right, so uh, this leads us now to Din. Um, He first faces off against the Dark Troopers. It was a scene. It was a sequence. It was cool, but it was also just like, eh. I don't know. Oh, my God. Mm Mm-mm. I spent like no, it was I got especially my third time watching it. I got to see it with my kids, and I have a very loud six year old who already is like the loudest person on the planet, anyways. <laughs> and listening to that kid go, oh, oh, ah, oh, oh, really loud. He was so into it. Oh my god, those Darth Vader droids are so cool. Oh my god, oh, oh I was here. It was so oh, amazing. They're made for the spirit of the ten year old boy. <laughs> yes. Like they are absolutely. In a lab somewhere, <laughs> like they're has lab. Holes. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I mean, it's only a matter of time. Um, but yeah, like I actually really enjoyed that that little one off with the dark trooper. Mm-hmm. Also, got to shout out that really great piece of Ludwig Jorensen score that was just basically oh Trent Reznor. God, like the entire score, not just of the entire series or the entire second season. But particularly this episode, I feel like is the high point, and um, I can't even think of the word. But the incorporation of everything before it, mm-hmm. like ugh, so good. You know the the music in that and the lighting was so intense, mm-hmm. and I loved. I need to see a mashup of the first time all those battle droids pop out during the phantom menace you know there at the end and how those things move i love that they have the same movement but the herky, are way like, more jerky. intimidating mm-hmm. was, but i like really the dark cool. troopers a lot more like i will say even though i i should say it like even though a moment ago i kind of seemed dismissive about it uh the, the dark troopers are super cool totally badass i wish I think I'm dismissive of it because we didn't get enough of them as I would have liked. I think that's kind of where my feelings are coming from because it was like, I did get a sense of like, Oh shit. Like nothing he's doing so far is working mm-hmm. until of course, uh, the, uh, Beskar mm-hmm. staff stab in the neck. Mm-hmm. I will say one of my favorite moments of the live streams, too, is when you were on, Ian, and I didn't exactly know what the Dark Troopers were, and my little nerd ran and got their book. 
<laughs> I had, yes. Mm, um, actually, they books. are. Um... <laughs> I was like, yes. Oh, Ian came with research material. I cannot imagine they would do such a thing. <laughs> you should have seen me. You should have seen me after the rise of Skywalker and before the um, reference book for that came out. Because I was looking at my encyclopedias, and I, I start like in the EU. There was some, like there was some stuff that they took from the EU, made it mm-hmm. new, mm-hmm. and totally unique for Traz. But um, like a wayfinder, there's a, yeah. There, but there's a whole lot of that that they actually transferred over, mm-hmm. and so I was just like knee deep in those encyclopedias. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. They had their cork wall with all the string. And then at yep. four in the morning, they're looking at old reference materials being like, why have you failed me? <laughs> I have never, ever, ever been that Star Wars nerd. I wish I was. I'm here for it when people are. And I can always pick up what they're putting down. But I'm like, not that. It's not Pondo Baba. It's still Walrus Man. I mean, I, I'm <laughs> old and was here from the beginning. So it's still Squidhead. Not a corn. Mm-hmm. They're Squidheads. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the lambda class shuttle it's an imperial shuttle <laughs> let's just keep it there that's my that's this that's this nerd right here we love all nerds <laughs> nerd how you want all nerds yeah. are valid Ooh. <laughs> oh. yes <laughs> all right uh so Yes, so Din then overcomes the Dark Trooper, and I, you know, uh, I think it's either right after he overcomes the Dark Trooper or it's right before the Dark Trooper fight. But our team of badass women uh, make it to the bridge, realize that surprise, not surprise, really. Well, in my mind, it wasn't a surprise. As soon as they got on board, I knew like Moff Gideon was going to go straight to grogu like you just i don't know to Mm -hmm. me i i knew that i feel like most people knew that like you just know like that's the kind of like not only evil he is but just like always calculating he's always anticipating and leads us to one of the best lines he's ever given which is assume i know everything or something to that so much so like yes oh my like the hair rose up on my body when i heard that just watching it like beautiful chef's kiss um so now we really see okay and i've you know we're clearly not the first podcast to mention it uh but this is where the himbo in din really starts to shine (laughs) because you have moff gideon who's like playing this entire scene exactly the way he rehearsed it and it's going exactly the way he thought it would go. And Din is just like his gullible ass is believing every minute of it, every second of it. Mm-hmm. And oh my God. I am married to him. <laughs> I did not know so I was married I. to okay. a himbo. Okay, yeah, no. When we watched it that morning, I trusted you. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I, okay. Honey, I, I love you. S- you were like the nicest person in the world. If you believe that, then you just must love all human beings. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I didn't believe it 
but I started to doubt. I was like, it was like a weird, like, I don't trust you. But at the same time, I'm like, this is totally not how exactly I thought this was going to go. I was like, this is weird. Why is this happening? What are you doing? Like, when are you going to fucking attack? But that's why Gideon is such a great villain, because like, to be fair, Din is very sheltered. And even though he's been, <laughs> yeah. and I mean that in a, a general mm-hmm. sense, like he's genuinely been sheltered. So he's right. not yeah. super great at human interaction. Like he's still learning mm-hmm. just very basic ways to handle the rest of the galaxy. Cause not everyone else lives off the same code of honor that he was raised with. Yeah. So it's not like he completely hundred percent ch- trust Gideon, but Gideon makes a pretty good case for like, I mean, take your kid and get out because what else are you going to do in that particular moment like he lays out everything you don't have anything else in your salvo like you can't attack me i'll kill the kid so take the kid and leave yeah i loved that too because again like i said i watched this this morning with my kids and michael is i have three boys michael is my other super fan he's Mm -hmm. the six-year-old and gideon says that line you know he's a something about you know he's a special kid and Mm -hmm. he has the potential to to the power to bring order back or something, something along those lines. And Michael's immediate reaction was the first order. He made, he used baby Grogu, baby Grogu to make Snoke. I was like, Oh my boy, I love you. (laughs) Yes. That's a kid that's going to go far. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, he is. That's exactly what's going on here. Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) But I was like, Oh, the mind of a child. They just take it as it is. There is no, like that can't be like, no, I think it is truly wonderful. Like, the mind of a child. <laughs> yes. Oh, truly so many Attack of the wonderful. Clones references going on today. I love it. <laughs> and I'm being so polite because Brian is a guest. <laughs> That's the thing we will eventually have our fake square off over. <laughs> is of all the Star Wars films, Attack of the Clones is by far my least. Oh my I, god! And it's my number nope. two. Phantom I know. Phantom <laughs> oh, see, I'll put Phantom above it so quick see, and so fast. Okay. Like, I haven't seen Attack of the Clones in probably 12 years. I'll be completely honest with you. So here's... not stand that movie. so good. (laughs) And I literally... And I say this more often than I need to because it's pretty much clear at this point now. But in the Pink Milk group (laughs) chat, we literally Mm -hmm. had this discussion the (laughs) other day. For me, it's... I always am looking... Well, there's many ways I look at the Star Wars movies. But at the end Mm -hmm. of the day, it really all boils down to, like, actually like how good movies they are like mm-hmm. made mm. and then also like my favorites phantom menace yep. phantom menace is a way better movie than attack of the clones just like in terms of like everything seems like makes more sense flows better music every like story everything mm-hmm. characterization blah 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 but in terms of my favorite like the phantom menace i think is my least favorite it's so bad <laughs> so bad it's so bad it's rough but also just to be fair because i i, I want to make sure that i put this in context even though like attack of the clones is not my thing i'm also not laying awake at night screaming about it like it's oh yeah good. <laughs> yeah this is star wars stories that are for us and yeah. there are star wars stories that aren't for us yeah and you just interact with the story the way that you feel most comfortable with and yep. i'm okay yes. with skipping those particular like romance scenes in attack of the clones and having oh, to listen no. to that dialogue and that cgi pair in particular that i still dream of sometimes <laughs> as bad as it is those scenes are so fucking hot 
I am See, like, I'm not I, there's smart definitely enough, an age bracket that is fascinating that Brian somehow still <laughs> fell into <laughs> because like, honestly, like people who are just even a couple years younger than me, like that was your first star Wars. Like I'm mm-hmm. not that much like I'm 30. Right. So I was nine when Phantom Menace came out. So that could have been my first star Wars. It just didn't happen to me. Nope. Uh, so for a lot of people, that's their first introduction to star Wars. So that's what they're going to love. And a lot of those people feel so strong about the prequels. And that's, I have a soft spot for the prequels because of them. Mm-hmm. Really, I'm glad that that's your first Star Wars. And I'm glad that you love it in ways that I don't quite see all the time. It gave me the Clone Wars and that's all I needed. Yeah. Like, I'll never hate the prequels because I got, you know, Ahsoka out of it at the end of the yeah. day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love, I mean, I, I remember the internet wasn't around back then, or maybe it was. Maybe it was not much. It, it was, but it wasn't. It wasn't like today. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Why two K? Like I, but I had all the you know Twitter wars in a comic book store. That's where they. That's where they existed back then. Uh huh. And I have. Oh, I don't like the beginning first ten minutes of the Phantom Menace. I remember sitting in that theater. I was in line for twelve hours. I remember all of it. Like I just remember being overwhelmed. It's a slow start. And sitting yeah. down and going, um, is this not going to be good? <laughs> <laughs> for a minute because like the opening is not great it's not great it's a little it's a little flat but i've loved that movie i love i love the prequels i mean i'm telling you i i think i go back and watch the prequels more than i do the original trilogy like when i'm just like i'm i'm ready for a star mm-hmm. wars movie i go there like i am here i am not someone who's going to like i don't even pretend to know how to critique movies as like a film and writing i love star wars i don't love anything else like i do star wars so i just see star wars yeah. movies and i can rank them mm-hmm. as star wars yeah. movies and i think attack of the clones is so such a star wars movie i love the romance i love the awkward dialogue i love all <laughs> of it because that's just how it works there that is how they talk Especially back then, like the prequels, Mm -hmm. which is how I view Ahsoka in The Mandalorian. I thought it was brilliant. I feel like I am like one of probably one of the biggest Ahsoka Stanos like on the planet. Mm -hmm. But I loved her portrayal in The Mandalorian. I felt it was very true to Ahsoka. I can see all of the criticism of her. I get it. I see it. But I still to this day feel like her lines were delivered like a prequel movie. And we were given a prequel character in modern original trilogy time. And she spoke like they did in the prequels. I have always felt that the prequel dialogue was George's way of saying it's a different time. You think about films in the twenties and forties, people act differently. People read lines differently. And that Mm -hmm. was his way of saying, this is a separate time period. And it set them up to be just different because people. And so when Ahsoka came in and spoke like that, I was like, Oh my God. Dave Filoni is paying so much respect to the prequels right now. The Mandalorian has been paying a lot of love to the prequels anyways. And I was like, I am here for this because this is how they talk. This is how those, this is how those lines are written. This is how, how those lines are delivered. And it feels weird being bounced off a character who's written like original trilogy, but that's to me how it would work. And I was here for it. I was all about, I don't know if I want every single Ahsoka to be like that all the time. You know, she needs Ahsoka needs another witty person to bounce off of. And that is not our 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 den. <laughs> He's not no, full of wit. <laughs> and then, no. Yeah, like that that's a it's another conversation for another time and another yeah. place. But like I I love that that is your take on it. <laughs> I think that's 
That was not supposed to be my like. I love that. That is. A I see the wrong gift. I wrong, love that God. for you. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is a take on it. I have like, I ha- I have my feelings for how that dialogue was delivered, and I think that it serves a story purpose that's different. But we'll get mm-hmm. into that another time. Yeah. Because uh, otherwise, well, that the show will be like eighty hours long. Yeah. But anyways. <laughs> so yes. Know that, yeah. Mandalorian. <laughs> All right. So um, Din overpowers. Hamaf Gideon and he rescues Grogu takes them to the bridge and then we encounter some more tension as Moff Gideon informs our sheltered Din about the power and legacy of the Darksaber and oh my god I just seeing like Bo go from like kind of like gathering herself and then also just like that look, fucking amazing. So great. I loved it. And then like, you know, of course, Din just like, well, what? here, have it, take it, mm-hmm. hot potato. Yep. No, that's not, no, that's not how it goes. That's not what happens. That's not the legacy. Mm-hmm. And now uh, as Brian and even Ben have been sent in, to a certain extent, and myself. even Ben. What? <laughs> uh, we learned that there had to have been something. Uh, you know, it, it's hinted at that probably Gideon and Bo-Katan had their own little battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, we do get to uh, even in uh, comics. I feel like that would be great, just seeing like their fight or what happened. But. Uh, Okay. Oh, I forgot to mention because I need to mention it before I mention the next part is uh, before uh, or a- okay after Din's dark trooper fight, he uh, ejects the rest of the dark troopers. Then he you know fights Moff Gideon. So uh, after Moff Gideon's little uh, soliloquy about the dark saber. We get some beeps and boops. Oh my God, what's going on? And we're now informed that dark troopers are boarding the light cruiser. So people are getting ready to, you know, kind of make their last stand. And then. That was a great speech, too. There'll be a valiant effort, but you all know. Oh my God, yeah. Only mm-hmm. me and the child would be left. Oh, that was so yeah. good. So good. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. He's such a good villain. That's all of He's his so, power yeah. is in that tongue. Yep. And then... Which, take that as you will, I guess, but... Yeah. <laughs> as they finally are, you know, prepared to make their last ditch effort out of nowhere, a little... We see it on the sky. A little single X-wing comes into the bay and lands. Pay super Na- close attention to the music cue for this scene. Yeah. Very specific choice being made. Identify yourself. Of course, there's no identification except for that music cue. Um, initial thoughts when you each saw the X-Wing come in and land. Like, f- if you can try to think back to your first viewing and then your very initial, like, thoughts flowing, right? Because for me, real, just real quick, mm-hmm. for one split second, and it like it left my mind as soon as it came, I almost thought like it was Carson. But then, mm-hmm. of course, you know, 
yeah. the weight of the ending, the weight of the scene, and also the music and everything else. It's like, okay, like it's not Carson. Uh, Brian, what your thoughts? I had no idea how I would have emotionally reacted to that. Like I could not have anticipated the absolute loud, ugly crying of pure joy that I had. I just didn't think, I mean, I love Luke Skywalker. He's my childhood hero. I love him. But I did not think, because I was not on team, like, have him back in. I wasn't like, yeah. don't bring mm-hmm. him in either. But I was like, you know, I don't need it. I'm good. Like, I, I'm good. I, Luke told his story, and I'm good. Yeah. And then I saw it. I heard it. You're like, yeah, I mean, you're right. It's the it's the music. It comes in. And I. it was just, I was so emotional. I was so happy. And then I went through quite an emotional journey <laughs> over the next, like, eight minutes. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah. Ben, your initial thoughts. So I made my husband wake up super early to go ahead and watch this before I had to run off to go to work. And at first, just like Ian, I thought maybe it was Carson and Wolf coming in. And then the second I said, no, it's just a single X-Wing. I immediately, like, I, I couldn't tell you the weird noise that happened in the <laughs> middle of my throat and just kept going for about the next 15 seconds while my husband is like, are you okay? And I'm just like, no! Because, like, I was very actively anti-Luke being in this particular story. Reasoning being that I didn't see the why for it. Because mm-hmm. it's a that's the big thing that yep. I'll always talk about here is the why of Star Wars is much more important than the how. So, like, how does Luke being here serve the story? So, from the way that the story had presented itself so far, I did not see a reason to bring a character like Luke in at this juncture because I couldn't see what what we would gain out of it other than distract from our actual story. The way that it ends up happening, I actually wildly approve of and took me off guard. Mm-hmm. But just for that split second of like he's he's it's he's fucking here and the next one is like is it recast because if it's a recast then we know it's a larger role if it's de-aged mark then we know that they're going to very strongly limit how they want to use this character so like i just hope it's a de-age i hope it's a de-age i hope it's a de-age and then we finally get to see that face and then i forgot exactly what i was thinking and then just started crying like a nine-year-old boy because it was luke skywalker <laughs> exactly mm-hmm. so i i before I say what, uh, before I say what I'm about to say, I'll preface it with: I am with you, Ben, in that uh, I have my own personal feelings about everything and how it went down. But the way that it they executed it, the way that um, you know, just how that whole scene works. Um, is is actually i mean like the execution of luke was really dope and was mm-hmm. really amazing and i i think they really truly nailed it mm-hmm. um the first thing i said once like you know we we once not only uh you know the person exits the x-wing but then they start to fight and then uh you know there's all these little different clues at various times throughout that whole it's like at least three minutes long Mm -hmm. um but when i as soon as i realized it was luke the first thing i said was something to the effect of like god damn it no (laughs) um i am very or i should say i was 
very adamant about not wanting Luke to appear. I think that it wasn't, in my opinion, necessary. Um, again, I think like I didn't understand how or why it would it would work to serve the story. Um, I think that uh, I it's I think for me too. Uh, it seemed even though like it's not so random it seemed very random and i like part of me is very much like why i don't know why anything star wars related has to be grounded in familiar territory i don't understand like i hate the fact that sometimes uh at least lately more often than not like it seems like we can't have truly original content um you know we keep going back to the same stories we keep going back to the same characters we keep going back to the same timelines like we can't lately it seems like we can't get out of this like 60 year time frame we can't Mm -hmm. seem to get past certain characters and uh it seems ridiculous sometimes like even with the high republic which is like I'm super excited for it still has Yoda in it and and that uh, apparently you know that when the acolyte might be taking place is like 50 years before the Phantom Menace um you know we with all this new content coming in and even with the Mandalorian being so truly original in its first season like it you know that the truly original content coming seems to be the Alkalite and Visions, which I'm like super excited for. But like, that's just like, there's so, and I obviously love Star Wars. I wouldn't be here if I didn't. Uh, so I, you know, I have all these, all these diverse feelings and emotions. But again, I want to say I thought the Luke's sequence was super badass. They did it really well. It was awesome. Um, and because of that, for that reason, like it is really cool. I like how they kind of allude visually again to attack of the clones with Anakin in the droid factory sequence, but also Darth Vader at the end of rogue one, they sort of combine those for Luke's appearance here. Um, I also just talked a lot, so, uh, (laughs) you know, yeah. So, so those are kind of like my thoughts which extend far beyond just the episode itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, there's thoughts yeah. that I'm seeing a lot kind of from fan Twitter right now, or even from like the podcast sphere to which mm-hmm. we belong in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. Um, and I think part of it kind of goes back to personal taste and then also how we react to kind of geek storytelling at its finest. Uh, now I know for me, and then I'll kind of see how Brian feels about this as someone who kind of grew up with comics being the modern mythos, right? And Star Wars is right alongside it. But uh, with comics, for example, Batman has been a, a character that's been used going on for, what is this, his 80th anniversary mm-hmm. at this point? And it can be very tiresome to see the same character show back up again over and over and over and over again. But at the same time, if you can give me a good story and justify the use for that, then I'm there for it. Like, I'm a Marvel kid, and that's 
I love X-Men more than anything. And I love new X-Men characters. And then every time that it's like, okay, and now Wolverine is back. You're like, okay, cool. Like we've done Wolverine. I don't need Wolverine. And if you give me a good Wolverine story, then suddenly I'm a hundred percent there for it. Yeah. So as long as it's kind of gives me something new to, to chew on for that character or serves the story in an unexpected way, then I'm there for it. I like the, the genre storytelling that Star Wars is set in because mm-hmm. we do play with a lot of, like tropes because star Wars is a bill on flash. Yeah. It's a flash Gordon serial. It is like to the point of like, it would have been flash Gordon had he been able to get the rights. Exactly. Like it is supposed to hit on certain kind of serial tropes. And part of that is the kind of returning characters and everybody's related to others. It's very soap opera in space. So I respond well to that. I see criticism from people who want to kind of push that forward into a more nuanced storytelling. And I'm always there for it. Cause trust me, less Jedi is one of my top two favorite star Wars films for a reason because of how brave and challenging so it can be. Good. But at the same time, I don't get angry when when suddenly somebody's back as long as it serves a story. But that's just me personally. Mm. Uh, I didn't want Luke back. Luke is back now. I am shocked with how excited I am for what that opens up for storytelling for season three. I think there's some very smart writer's room talk going on on that. Um, and we may get to that in just a second here. Yeah. Uh, I'll go ahead and knock it out because obviously we're getting a little bit long winded for this episode anyways. And we're at the end of the episode, so it's okay. I think it makes a very interesting opportunity to do a time skip when we go over to season three, because if we were to leave the characters of Grogu and Den together, if we were to skip any large period of time, that's part of their kind of continuing story and their relationship that we're missing. But if we separate them, we can give them a period of time enough so that we can do something more, Uh, particularly with Grogu, as he's kind of rapidly developing now that he's interacting with people and not just locked in a pram. We might be able to emotionally age up that character so we can get a little more story out of him if that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense <sighs> we saved the best for last no i don't <laughs> know is, about this i, I don't know about the that show. so uh if i upset anyone listening it is not katana cast's fault just stop listening to pink milk but <laughs> i have a very um, I would say a, a dryer full of different emotions that are all bouncing around together that don't really fit together, but they're all yes. there. That's mm-hmm. I feel I, that. Yeah. So a few things that y'all brought up, like I'm different. I like all these characters coming back. I like to see how these people that I've loved my whole life come back and how they're going to be a little different in this new generation. Star Wars is a myth. Mm-hmm. It can. And I love, you know, the, the thing that is the hardest for me with with this new era of Star Wars is there's going to be no breaks. I like mm-hmm. time away. I like 10 years in between because it becomes a part of who I am. I'm only speaking for myself. Like it becomes a part of who I am. I live with these stories for so long that I can recite them left and right because I have lived with them for so long. We're losing the ability to live with things and get to know them that intimately because there's something new on the way. One of the things that I love about Star Wars and the myth, and it started with the prequels, it was written for a different generation of person. They expected different sorts of things. Yes, politics are a big part of it. The way in which the story was told fit more for that genre, that time period of what was going on in in the world and in the discourse. The sequel trilogy, again, has come out a, you know, a decade later, 15 years later, and it's being told a similar story is being told in a different way because the people who are going to be taking the story in for the first time see the world differently. And I like how we see the same character 
but told for a different generation. I find it fascinating. I can relate to these things at different stages of my life. Um, you know, this is I've been pretty open and honest about talking about like this is I've been very selfish. I've been a selfish Star Wars fan. It's always been my thing. I kept it very inward. It was, it's really, really important to me on like an emotional and spiritual type level. It's always been mine. And it was hard for me to learn how to share as much as I couldn't wait to share Star Wars with my kids because it was a dream I never thought possible. It was also it was harder than I thought it was going to be because it shifted how I look at it now, which is why I've been so in love with the Mandalorian is I'm I see Din as a dad and I'm now a dad and I can relate to this character in a way in which I would have never been able to relate before. And it's because of that relationship with Din and my children that as I was just teary eyed and emotional with pure excitement, there was a shift that started to happen. Mm-hmm. And it mostly started to happen when Luke takes out the first round of, of dark troopers and he hops in the elevator and it shifts. And I started to really ugly cry because there was a line that just kept, I kept repeating in my head, I'm going to be a Jedi like my father before me. And I'm watching this person very violently, very aggressively take out these dark troopers because what was beyond those doors was a possession that he needed to obtain. And I started to get really emotional. Don't do what your father did. This was not what you were supposed to do. And I feel that Luke has become so obsessed with rebuilding the Jedi Order and rebuilding this idea, this legacy that his father left that walked away from that now Luke has probably glorified his father in a way. I mean, he was determined to save him, right? In Return of the Jedi. And he idolizes his father like many kids do. No matter how difficult our relationship is with our parents, there's probably always a part of us that idolizes them in a way. And I feel like Luke is becoming the worst part of the Jedi. And he is forgetting humanity and he's forgetting Grogu. So he we get to the store and I'm like, oh my God, like don't do like, do not do this. And I was I'm legit starting to get heartbroken because I love Luke Skywalker and I feel he's about to make a terrible choice. And it was really, really hard. And it was interesting. And then we we cut to a scene where Grogu kind of finally, you know, gets up for the first time and he goes to the computer screen. You know, his little ears perk up because he's he sensed who was here. And then he walks to the computer screen, though, as he's making his way towards that door. And he touches the screen. And there's been lots of conversation about Grogu in particular and his being drawn to violence and the scariness of what that means for Grogu's future being that tempted by the dark side. Well, he pops up to that computer screen when Luke is at his most violent. And he kind of turns and he looks to his dad. And I'm like, oh, God, like he's connecting to this dark side thing. You know, we see Luke crunch the droid. Yes, they're only droids, but it's really violent. We see that that hand clench up with his robot glove that was just like his father's. And he very, very violently destroys that last droid that was in his way from getting what he wants. And then he walks in. There is no compassion, no compassion for this entire bridge full of people who thought their life was about to be over. He did not come in. It's his, I'm here to rescue you, but, but I'm not here to there's rescue none you. of the, I'm here to rescue, like, there's none of it. No, because he was not there to rescue them. <laughs> he was there to get the child to save the Jedi Order. And for me, this is the way I looked at it, and I was heartbroken. Like, I'm, I am so heartbroken, and it's a really weird thing, because I also love what it does for the story. Like, I think it is so good, and I had said at the beginning of this, of this, of this episode 
that this season has challenged us every single time with what a hero was supposed to do be and what a hero was going to do and our expectations of what heroes are going to do. The entire sequel trilogy is built on the expectations of what came before us and what heroes did and the choices they made. And I love this idea that when we're on floor one, the writers are giving us what all those fanboys are upset with The Last Jedi wanted. And good. And I understand. I'm of that generation. I understand the heartbreak that that TLJ gave to those people. I can understand. I'm not excusing certain behaviors about it, but I get how they got there. So they got it. And we get up to level two and we're about to get TLJ, Luke, or like the person who started down that road and how he got there. And I thought it was really, I just thought, thought it was fascinating and I thought it was beautiful and brilliant. And I really feel like Luke became an antagonist in this thing. And he takes the child and like the part, and this is where like a dad came. And I, again, I've said it, I'm a parent of foster kids and we have now adopted and everything I see, especially the story, because the story is about a queer dad adopting a one-time foster child. That is what the series is about. It is like very much my life on TV. And I've been there. I've been to the point where I thought maybe I was going to have to let my kids go, you know, and it it's hard. And I feel very, I feel for Din very, very much. And Luke couldn't even really look at him. And it just really, there was no compassion and no gratitude for the sacrifice that Din was about to make. And it was just cold. And I'm like, you know, the Jedi treated people like they were not people. They were nothing. The Martez sisters like go really into that during the Clone Wars about how the Jedi forgot about humanity. And here's Luke. And to me, he just forgot about humanity. And then he gets then he gets Grogu and he can't even give him a hug. He can't even look at him. He does nothing. He picks him up like he's a thing. You know, uh, Gideon calls him an it all the time. Mando and the good guys, in quotes, again, are the only ones who call him kid, pal, all those things. Luke doesn't treat him like a kid or a pal. He treats him like a thing. And it was just, it really messed me up. Like, because I don't like what Luke did. And why can't he take his father with him? If he, ha- you know, he's like, He's really powerful. There's nothing good without training. Well, then take dad with. And he acknowledges their, uh, their relationship. Yes. But he doesn't take him with because Din's expendable. Everyone. And then he leaves and then he leaves, doesn't check on anybody to see if they're okay. Do they have a ship to get out? Do they have any way of (laughs) like, he just doesn't care. And it just, it really was upsetting. Like on an emotional level, I'm so upset because I feel like my hero is starting to break down. And now and then, you know, I can put on the hat and I see who he becomes at the end of The Last Jedi. So I know he comes back. But from a story perspective, I think it's really great. And I think how brave of it, of Lucasfilm to double down on Luke making bad decisions after the backlash that they got. I think it's really important to point out that this isn't just Brian's takeaway on the episode. The way that A, it is framed, but also very specifically, we'll go back to score. Mm -hmm. There's a difference in the score between our initial reveal of it being Luke. And Uh then as he approaches, it becomes ominous because they want us to have that feeling. It is very very smart to choose Luke for this because we yep. as an audience have a pre-existing relationship with the character Den does not mm-hmm. and we are supposed to feel exactly the way we feel when a character that we have a pre-existing relationship separates the two characters that we love from this series mm-hmm. because all of the players on the board in that case do not know each other or each other's stories mm-hmm. and the thing that makes it fun going into season 3 every one of these people believe they are doing the right thing and think they are helping, mm-hmm. including like Luke. It's, 
Yeah, that, that's why he's doing it. Mm-hmm. It's because yeah. the thing about Luke at this point in his life is he's leading up to his disillusionment. Uh, and this is something that will 100% have to be another episode here, Pink Milk, and the hallway somewhere. Because uh, <laughs> we do not have time for it tonight. Because don't yep. get me preaching on Luke. Because it'll go, it'll go too long. But in order to lead up to Luke's disillusionment, we have to see him try to do everything by the book. Because that is part of his story. Yep. Uh, and it's not necessarily about a temptation to the dark side because that's still not who Luke is as a person. It's not that he mm. succumbs to the dark side of the force. He's trying to do everything literally, textually by the books that he has available to him. He's trying to do it by the books no so he doesn't fall anymore. back. Yeah. Right, He's right. living under the fear of falling back. Always. Mm-hmm. It's... Like no, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like, it's very important that, uh, you know, we're looking at not just like... Of course, we're talking and looking at, you know, our emotional response to this end sequence. But at the same time, like, to me, the most important aspect uh, um, is, like, we're also now getting into, like, the nuances of, like, what this means and mm-hmm. taking into account, like, just a part of Luke's life and his character arc and what it looks like here. Because, like you, like everyone said, you know, at this point now he's one, if not the last, then one of the last Jedi, and we know from Battlefront Two, like he's spent his time looking for different temples and Jedi artifacts, uh, and now he's attempting to quote Yoda, pass on what he has learned, mm-hmm. and it's interesting to me what's also interesting and brian and even again even ben (laughs) even ben uh (laughs) that's some great side eye there (laughs) it's interesting because brian and ben have uh suggested but haven't quite outright said it like even though luke is one character and obviously evolves over the course of like the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy like if the last Jedi Luke were watching this episode with us, mm-hmm. he would be pissing on that Luke so hard. Like he mm-hmm. would be so furious yep. at what how Luke is just everything about him. Maybe not like defeating the dark troopers, but from the moment he steps off the elevator and then back onto the elevator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was um, the step of what led him down those things. Like, this is it. This yeah. is where he started to break away from his own humanity that led him down the path of the Jedi. That, to me, Luke, when Yoda's like, you know, teach, you know, whatever the line is, teach, you know, what, whatever you said. The line of, you know, well, teach what, pass what, you, on what you have taught. learned. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I should know yeah. that, right? He should have learned what it was like to be a foster kid in a family that mm. one never asked for him. And a father figure that very openly did not want him mm-hmm. and what yeah. that did to him. It's I think it's important to note that we've only ever seen the Jedi remove one other child from their parents. Mm-hmm. And what happened to that one child? Mm. And now we just removed another child from their parent. And I'm so glad we've been able to have this conversation because I've had it twice now. Friday was very emotional. It was too fresh. I had it this morning with my husband and it's too much because, you know, but I feel like I can articulate myself a little better now because I've worked through some of my emotions. But, (laughs) you know, and Tom didn't see it this way at all this morning when we were talking. Tom was was very much like he's answering the call. 
this is what he was supposed to do. Why is this surprising you? Ahsoka's the one who told Din that mm-hmm. Grogu's going to pick. Well, that's clearly who he was talking to. So Grogu clearly picked him. It's like, oh, oh well, that's another take. And yeah, that's <laughs> right there. <laughs> yeah. So for our listeners, uh, Tom is Brian's better half and better host. As he <laughs> says himself. It's because it's I'm true. just quoting him. Uh, <laughs> who's more of a casual fan. Uh, and again, if you're not listening to Pink Milk, why are you here? So it's cool to he- and interesting and important to hear like different responses and reactions from mm-hmm. everyone in the fandom. Yeah, you uh, can disagree and it's going to be okay. And you can maybe learn yeah. something from one another. Exactly. Uh, so I'm going to skip. So uh, I guess I'm going to skip over the post credit scene, even though like super cool, super badass. Yeah. I'm excited for the Boba Fett show coming just have like one kind of i guess last question uh before ending and that's like mm-hmm. how do we so where now do we think season 3 will begin or like how does this leave us you know f- for season 3 like what does this ending mean going forward i don't know i i that's I, the fun part i, I like where tom part. said this morning when we were recording our episode tom's was like it has to happen right after this there's a bunch of people standing there and no one like he left in the middle of a situation and we don't know what's going on. It's it's pretty rad. I mean, it's really, really rad yeah. um, because at some point, Din's going to have to realize he made the wrong choice and try to go get Grogu. And I guess my biggest fear is that Luke is down a path, like his mother said, down a path that they can we cannot follow. And he's going to say, no, I'm not giving him back. He's too important. Mine. Mm-hmm. I'm really, really nervous about that. Like that's where I'm at, and it's really like hard for me to think that. But the Luke we were yep. presented with today, the Luke that we see in TLJ, like there, something got Luke there, and I think this is start is this, starting to get there. It okay. That kind of answers this question I was about to ask. Is like, do you think maybe part of what the Mandalorian will be about now is seeing? some of the actions Luke takes that gets him to where he's at in the last mm-hmm. Jedi. Like, do we think now like the Mandalorian will kind of not be like game of Thrones, but only in terms of like multiple story arcs, mm-hmm. or do we think, think like Din's going to go back to get Grogu? Like, is this the end of Grogu or like, like no, 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 no. Like there's it's, this is our, like Grogu is a huge storytelling problem i've said from episode one of the show and we'll continue he's a huge Mm. problem from a storytelling standpoint fantastic character but what the fuck do you do with him because you have to get him off the board before the sequel trilogy starts and now they've even cranked up the timelines we have to get him off the board before luke's jedi academy starts up because like i know for a fact that he does not die in the jedi academy massacre and he also was not around anytime by the time that ben gets there ben is i believe five five or six at this point in the storyline something like still, yeah four or five six. he's he starts training him at 13 so we have a very short window of when we have to get rid of grogu because i believe ben is his first student is specifically textually what he said before really this could be changed but okay. i believe we've said before that ben is his first official apprentice okay so something happens in between there we've got a whole mystery there grogu's got to be gone before the jedi academy is even founded 
Because at this point, I believe in storyline, and this is I wish Emma was around on standby because she knows all this stuff inside and out. I love her so much. Uh, she'd be able to tell us exactly mm-hmm. maybe if we know canonically how long Luke is in his kind of wandering and preparing period. Yeah. So we don't know what's going to happen with Grogu. I think that story is going to give Grogu his own independent character arc because I think removing him from Den from a storytelling standpoint, from just a writing standpoint, is what we have to do to let that character have his own independent arc separate from Den. And it's also going to have to push Den's story in a new way that I couldn't even begin to tell you what they're going to choose because they've wiped the slate clean. We can do anything we want with season three because our big bad that we thought the show was about is Gideon. Now he is probably in captivity of some mm-hmm. shape or form. Uh, we've got Bo-Katan set up as a rival to Den, And how is that going to work out? Because she's not automatically going to decide that's her enemy. So that relationship is going to be very complicated. Because her quest is still to take back Mandalore. It has nothing to do with Gideon. It's yeah. for that Darksaber. Mm-hmm. We've got Grogu off doing who knows what. So he's a little bit off the table. Uh, and then Boba, I actually think, is out of the show. I, I think Book of yeah. Boba's his story and we're done with him. Yeah. But like, I did not think that the show would move this fast. I'm so excited to see what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Get yeah, two okay. things real quick. One, we don't know necessarily if Grogu has to be gone. Because we all said that during Clone Wars, because Ahsoka can't be around. We never saw her in episode three. Mm -hmm. So we don't know he has to be gone. But another thing that's really, really interesting that not only defines our character of Din Djarin, but also defines so much of what this audience is, he can take his helmet off now. Like so Mm -hmm. much of the audience was also like, you can't take your helmet off. Like, so it's like Mm -hmm. freeing the audience of what our expectations now are of everything. It's really. It's because there's no way he's going back to putting that helmet on. Like, there's no way. Yeah. No, there's like no he'll way. wear the helmet because it's part of his uniform yes. now, but it's no longer a religious relic. Yeah. So I wonder if it, his new rivalry for this next season in part will be the armorer because that's a religion mm. that he just voluntarily left. Mm. Yeah. Because where's okay. the covert? There's somewhere. Mm-hmm. All right. And this, I promise, I lied about <laughs> having that be the last question. One. And this is it. There I needs swear. to be one more question because I've been preparing that I'm going to pretend like I didn't know it was coming and I just threw it off, but I've been preparing. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> we got Luke. Will we, I mean, what's the, I mean, that increases the likelihood of seeing other people come back, right? Um, it depends on what purpose they would serve to this story in the Outer Rim particularly. Like our big, big characters, Leia will not be in the show. We know that already just because from a technical standpoint, mm-hmm. they've also said they're not doing any more CGI replacement for her. Yeah. Uh, so Leia, no. Uh, I don't see what Han would offer to the story, but I also didn't see what Luke would offer to it. I see Hondo as a strong probability, I've always said. I see that coming. Because it's it's a flown I mean, show. I mean, like, the, I mean, like, like your like main OG, main, yeah, like Lando or like who, um, like, well, Billy D's probably on the payroll. He can do a DH sit in just like Mark did. Mm-hmm. If there's a reason for Lando, I feel the Boba Fett show is more likely to have bigger okay. players in yeah. because I feel that show will be able to weave in and out that. of different kinds of stories. Like Very I can true. see Alden coming back to play an older Han at some point in time. Oh, that would be cool. Um, which would be cool. Um, and we know, I mean, their stories are always tied together. There's always yeah. going to be weaves in and out of that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But we could also, I forget the actor's name, but whoever played young 
young Boba could also come back for a solo movie or the Lando oh, series. That and would stuff be like so that. Yeah, cool. we're not giving Daniel Logan any shit after his little go. bitch fit on Twitter. Sorry. What do you do? Uh, yeah, he's, you're right. He's yeah. been throwing a literal little bitch fit Cause because he's not they didn't ask been back. Him. Yeah. And you're like, don't try to take that from Tamora. Who yeah. Also, no, you're right. it's going to be Tamora. You yeah. don't look like Tamora. I don't yeah. have to tell you, kid. Also, you're not that great an actor. When was the last time you worked? Wow. Get over yourself, <laughs> prick. I'm sorry. Don't try to take anything from Tamora Morrison. Like, that is a man yeah, who has put fair. in his yeah. time and energy. Yeah. And, like, let him have this. Uh, yeah. Anyway, And look sorry. what he did. He just turned, like, 50% <laughs> of Star Wars fan base into a Boba Fett stan. Like, now 100% mm-hmm. of Star yeah. Wars are Boba Fett stans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And shippers, Boba Fett shipping is happening hardcore, and I have to say that I'm I'm down for that Boba Finnick ship. Mm-hmm. You mean hashtag Bonek. 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 Whatever. Same diff. It's phobic. Tomato, tomato. Like, it's okay. a femdom relationship, so it's phobic. It's almost as exciting as Din Cobb. <laughs> <laughs> we, I think we haven't seen the last of him. Mm-mm. Of Cobb? Nope. No. Uh, okay, but I so also that, think Cobb is going to show up in the Boba show more likely than he will show up in Mandalorian. Very they're on true. Tatooine. Okay, cool. Yeah, um, th- that's all I got. <laughs> we survived this episode. We did. we did, but I'm yeah. waiting for my question that Ben asks everybody. Oh, I have to pretend you... like I am not prepared for it, but I'm really prepared for it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm guess what? Excited. You don't get that same question because I can't ask you what you want. And the rest of the season, no, we can't say what we want for season three. No, no, no. I got you. I can ask you if there's anything specifically that you want in your next season. Mm -hmm. And I'll put the caveat that you cannot ask for Cub. Damn. Oh, well, this bitch ain't doing that. So, (laughs) (laughs) so we are going to find out. This is what I want. This is what I want. Okay. Din's like, okay, I really miss my kid, but it's been a hot minute. We are going to go to Coruscant. We're going to head down to level 1313, where you know there is a bar that has no door, but it's a leather curtain. He's going to walk into this leather curtain. He's going to be like, you know, I can take my helmet off now, but I'm not doing that here. I'm going to take everything else off but the helmet. (laughs) He's going to walk in. We can smell the poppers coming out of the TV. Oh, my. Mm-hmm. Right, right. We're all going to take a really big inhale. We're going to hold it for five seconds. We're going to let it out. And then we're like, I've heard this music somewhere. Maybe at the end of the Katana cast. And we're going to look up. And there's Max Rebo and the Jizz Whalers. Yeah. They also made it off. They are now playing in a leather pig nightclub, oh right? God. We're here, We've right? We've all seen the Matrix. Uh-huh. We've seen those fetish uh-huh. clubs. Yep. Mm. And Dan is going to be yes. like over there. He's going to be walking up to everybody, and out of the corner of his eye, he's going to see his space daddy. Mm. And Cobb Vanth is there. <laughs> also, wearing a new helmet. He had to get rid of his other one, but he's come to like the idea of being role-playing as a Mandalorian. And they're going to make eye contact. And it went from a dirty, oh. seedy nightclub he has to our new to romance. Like yeah, it's our new romance. And they're like, oh, my God. And Din's like, you know what? You know what I can do now? Take your helmet off. And he's going to take his helmet off because he's Din. His hair is going to be perfect. Or he's his yes. cob. His hair is going to be perfect. And Din's Their like. hairs are both going to be perfect. I can take my helmet off, too. And they're going to take it off. And we're going to like have the hottest kiss mm. ever. 
ever in Star Wars. It's going to be so much hotter than anything Padme and Anakin had before. And I know that's really hard to be, but it's going to be so hot. Even hotter than Leia and Luke. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hotter. Than so that. It's going to be hotter than that kiss between so a scoundrel and a princess. It's going to be so hot. It's going to be yes. wet. It's going to be deep. It's going to be nasty and filthy. And we're going to be so happy. We can hear it. And it's not going to be that be like, silent yeah. shit. Mm-hmm. And then Boba Fett's going to come in oh, and be like, I have a vendetta to pay. Eiffel Tower. Uh-huh. He's like, you stole my armor oh, for yes. a while. And Din's going to be like, mm-mm. And they're going to like fight it out. And now we are on the run because now there's a bounty on Cobb. And Din Jarn is going to protect his space daddy. And he's like, by the way, some bastard stole my kid. We have to run away from this bounty hunter, but we're also going to save our child. Season three, space daddies on the run. That's what's going to happen. Emma, come get your boy. <laughs> come on, doesn't that seem steamy and hot? I am here you for can, it. You I can also search it. hashtag pink milk on AO3 because you don't have to wait for season three to write your fan fiction. <laughs> We're going to be like, I think I'm the only person on the planet that every time I looked at Kylo Ren, I just saw a jockstrap. Like, I, like you've got the band, the waistband <laughs> for the chrome, and you have the mouthpiece. Mm-hmm. It looks just like a jockstrap on the face. So we're going to have like little like Kylo Ren like jockstraps. Now I'm really going to be on AO3. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, you be careful. Like, it, oh, God damn it. They're already monitoring the show because we've mentioned <laughs> I know, that. I had now to, the Raylos are coming. Mm-hmm. I had to bring them in for you. I couldn't let one episode go by without them. God <laughs> Damn it. Hi, Raylos. How are you? <laughs> Y'all want some water? You doing okay? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But I want it. I want it. <laughs> we Do you know what the sad part was? I truly thought that this was a pitch that I was on board for, for a serious pitch for a second. Because I was like, oh, okay. He wants to go to 1313 and then hire, like, we find out that uh, Cad Bane is still alive. Like, that's going to be Ooh. his big, like, no, 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 no. I didn't know that this was your Gamorrean Guard leather pig fantasy. <laughs> yeah, level 13, 13 is going to have the best leather bars with dark rooms in the back and everything can happen. It's like Folsom Street Fair. Maybe it's just going to be Folsom Street Fair. Like, on level 13, 13, that's how the season's going to open. Actually, not even it's Folsom. Just, We're going to go okay. full Dory Alley. We're going to go full Dory Alley. <laughs> if we, if we mm-hmm. can't get this, if that can't be season three, then like Which I, I said, can't imagine why not. Y'all gonna come with me to the fandom menace? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> if that's if that's not season three, then at least let's have a similar situation. But you know, for the Lando show, okay, just L three and Lando. <laughs> I'm. I still want that porno series. <sighs> if we if we can't get space daddies, let's get Lando. And L three, that's another space daddy. We're still oh, we yeah. still got space oh. daddies. <laughs> but oh. no, Cobb Vance oh, will be yeah. coming back. Cobb Vance will be coming back. Yes, for he, sure. he'll he'll be back. Boba's got his <laughs> Boba's got his with target a story set on purpose. Him. He will be back. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and please, I'm gonna yeah, uh-huh. I'm gonna have I'm gonna have Emma on Ao three write this up for me. She's got uh, a no, lot Emma working. Has Fuck. her own smut to write. You have to write your own smut. <laughs> Ryan. I'll let her have a swan in there somewhere. She'll take it. If She'll Brian, sure. if Brian wants to hire that out, let him do it. Okay. He's gonna get. I don't see him as a ghost writer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll see. We'll see. 
keep an eye Actually, out on Peak Milk and Katana Cast. We will see how what this we <laughs> what we need to do is now that we have finished up our This Is The Way fundraiser, is the next time that we decide to do a fundraiser, one of the end goals will be if we can raise $25,000, both the Katana Cast and Pink Milk will release their very own smut on AO3. <laughs> I'm down. I'm game. <laughs> oh, for charity, I'm willing to do almost anything. Any Any other final thoughts? Thank you, Season 2 Mandalorian. You were flipping perfection. Yes. So good. Thank you. No, yes. thank you. Thank you. I, again, Ian's the one who came into my life and made it better. And now, you and even Ben. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hashtag and even Ben. And Ben's going to be very happy that his screen is frozen up on this, so I have no idea the, yeah. the looks I'm getting right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. This has been a pleasure. I've been very excited, and I've been eagerly awaiting writing my AO3 for me you. Me too. Yay. <laughs> well, well, that brings today's voyage to an end. Thank you for choosing the Katana cast. We hope you enjoyed your trip. Be sure to follow and subscribe to our feed to stay up to date on all our latest episodes. And if you wouldn't mind, please rate and review us. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at the Katana cast. You can also email us. Uh, We are katanacast at gmail.com. If you like to follow our personals, you can follow me at igallagher321 and even ben at ben is not oh, the worst. he left he left oh, shit i ticked him off ticked him off and he's gone <laughs> 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 okay uh you can follow ben at ben is the worst you can follow maria at blurred girl jedi for both of the and e, to a certain extent mine but mostly theirs um if you are extra bored or have nothing better to do, they would love to gain a new follower. Mm-hmm. Again, thank you, Brian. Thank you very, very us. much. Thanks for coming. Uh, where can people find you and or Pink Milk? You can find me at B underscore Sips Pink Milk, and you can follow the show at Serving Pink Milk. And then, yes, find us on your favorite podcatcher and on friday late nights you can join our live stream on youtube peak milk after dark and uh you will hear more from the beautiful m and mark and i will laugh and mark is also brilliant and so much fun and a wonderful human being but yes come join us for a lot of milk drinking Ooh, yeah a lot of milk (laughs) drinking a lot of pink milk drinking (laughs) best kind uh and go to their youtube channel you know, like and subscribe their video and join us in the chat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know, especially in quarantine, I have nothing better to do on my Friday evenings. <laughs> so uh, just uh, it's so fun over there and we have such a great time. Honestly, um, those chats are looking fun. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's a lot of returning people. It looks like there's like there's own little community we have going on in the chat. It's now, awesome. Yeah. It's great. It's super great. It's awesome. Um, we appreciate all your continuing support and as always may the force be
Thank you.